I'm Zach Weiss, and you're listening to Across the Cavs on the Basketball Podcast Network. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. It is a new month, February indeed. In football news, Tom Brady retired, no comment, different sport, good for him, had a great career. In Cavs lands, we got three birthdays today. Dang, Adele didn't have a great tenure. He only shot 36% from the field in his 19 games, but he did play 19 games for the wine and gold. So happy 26th birthday to the Aussie. Dang, Adele, Andrew DeClerc turning 50, a couple of solid years with the Cavs, some big rebounding games over the course of his career and a happy birthday and rest in peace to Robert Tractor Trailer, who would have turned 46, lost way too soon, did have a couple of years in the wine and gold. And his son is not, not Cav, but similarly tragic. Rest in peace to Kevin Garnett's old best friend and Timberwolves star Malik Seeley, who would have turned 53. Kevin Martin rounds out the NBA birthdays, turning 40, one of the prettiest to some shooting techniques of all time. But we're here to talk Cavs. we got plenty to discuss. And joining me to do it today, we've got Bob Schmidt of the Fear the Fro podcast. A pleasure, Bob, to welcome you on. Thank you for having me on, Zach. Appreciate the uh, the invite. Yeah, and so, Bob, I take it off the pod name Fear the Fro. You're a big fan of the man with the Fro, Jared Allen. I am. I am. Uh, he's he's probably my favorite player on this current construction of the Cavs. I tend to gravitate towards big men, um, but I've said it before on the podcast. I don't know how wise it was to name a podcast about a team after a player. I'm pretty much betting against the longevity of the thing at that point. So uh, I'm going to need Jared Allen to ride this out as long as humanly possible before being traded or going to another team at some point during his career, because that'll throw a real wrench in the middle of things. Well, hey, the good news is the Cavs are not a lottery team right now, so they won't draft the next great center and create a very unnecessary logjam like some other teams around the league have in these last five or six years. That, that's the good news, right? You should have a, at least a couple of seasons. You have the whole duration of this contract. At the Absolutely. Plus, I mean, I I've, I said on the last uh, podcast I did with the guys from Jack Ramsey's, there's a distinct possibility that the name will have to be changed anyway. I'm just kind of throwing stuff out there into the world and not looking up trademarks or anything of that matter. So Ben Sim or Ben Wallace rather at some point might say, Hey, yeah, you know what? Uh, this is, this is my slogan. I don't know what you're doing. Well, I will say, Bob, you're, you're, you're good though. He was feared the fro. You're fear the fro distinct difference between those sounds and number of letters used. So I think he yeah, okay. has to talk to you. I like, I like your idea. And I can always just slap the word podcast on the back and say, see, it's a completely different avenue of industry. So Exactly. And so last night, you know, we'll get right to it. Uh, it had the makings of what could have been a, a signature win. The Cavs started off on fire. Miami used the first time out. It was a good beginning to the game. And then we get to the fourth quarter where things got a little ugly what are your general thoughts on last night's contest with the Heat? Uh, frustration, I suppose. Uh, it, it It's amazing. I mean, at halftime, I felt good because the Cavs were shooting so poorly. Five for 22 from outside the arc. Mitchell and Garland were both struggling shooting-wise. And despite all that, 
the Cavaliers were only down by three points. So to be outshot at the line, to shoot that badly from outside the arc, and to still be in the game to basically the very end and then have it unravel, it's frustrating. Uh, I, I don't love those kind of games because it feels like you're leaving wins on the board. But credit to Miami for having a game plan and executing in the fourth quarter because I think that was really the big difference here is that I didn't love the looks that the Cavs were getting. I, I didn't love how for most of the first half they were very under control. They didn't have turnovers. And then the second half rolled around and they got a lot looser with some of the passing and tried to force some things. And we saw some bad turnovers in the fourth quarter too. Yeah, Cavs finishing that fourth quarter with five turnovers to Miami's three. They shot seven of 17. No one player took more than three shots. The only player with multiple field goals made was Darius, who played all but those five seconds when they had to get him out. Maybe maybe expand on this a little bit, Bob. We saw nine minutes of Levert in the fourth quarter. We did not see any Jetty Osman in the second half. Are you okay with that, or do you think that's another contributing factor to what went wrong yesterday? Well, it's hard to say because, like you said, Osman, I mean, he only got seven minutes, and I know that he missed both of his three-pointers in that stretch, but it's really not a big enough sample to know what he would have brought. Um, the fact that it came on the heels of what was his you know, best game of the season against the Clippers, I guess I expected a few more minutes, but Karras, I know his plus-minus was terrible, uh, I thought some of the threes that he hit, the buzzer beater in the first quarter, the one he hit at the end of the third uh, quarter there that rattled in, I, those were big in the context of where we were and trying to, you know, hold them off. But I don't question JB's desire to go with Karras because Karras has proven to be one of the better options that we have off the bench. He's not perfect, and neither is most of our bench. But I think for me to say now that I, I would have wanted him to play Osman in the fourth is – I'm doing it through the prism of hindsight, you know, because I saw that that we failed. But had the Cavs pulled out that game, I don't think I would have given it a second thought. It, I, I get Osmond fans being frustrated, though, because I know a lot of the advanced metrics and analytics, they all fall in favor of, you know, the positive impact when he has on the floor. But I think it's pretty apparent that Bickerstaff doesn't fully believe what those numbers indicate um, because he's got, he's had Osman on a short lease since the middle of last year around this time, we saw Osman go to the bench and get a bunch of DNP CDs for a whole string of games. So I don't know what the reason is. I, I assume it's primarily his defense because he does have defensive lapses. He's not the best defender. He's one of our worst defenders, but I mean, he's also one of the few confident shooters from the bench who, when he gets hot, you know, he can be a real positive force for this squad. So, Yeah, I hope personally he gets more run. He had, did have 29 the night before, best shooting day ever. Even had Stat News and Hoop Central commenting on his performance. You know, we'll see. Outside of the two buzzer beater threes that the Cavs got, they made just nine for the game. Mitchell was three for 13. My overall thoughts were that when you're – when Evan Mobley is plus 16 in 38 minutes and you lose the game, that's not acceptable given that he only sat nine minutes and 39 seconds. You know, he was by far the highest impact player. He had 19, seven and four with two blocks. My prediction for him was 20 points and two blocks. It was one point away to one point being a missed free throw. One of many misses 
that the Cavs really wish they could have had back. They only took 12. They only got six points at the line. You're not going to beat many teams like that. I was personally okay with the last possession. Dean Wade set a good screen at half court for Donovan. He got his shot off. Sure, it was a fadeaway, but we've seen him hit some wild ones throughout the season. So my last question on this game for you, Bob, is were you okay with that last possession, or would you have liked the Cavs to have done something else, moved the ball again, no, I mean, it wasn't it, – don't get me wrong. It wasn't a good look, but it was six seconds or less like rushing up the court. There was very little chance he was even going to be able to square up and get a clean look off. So I didn't think it was a good shot in the context of it's a very difficult shot to make, but just the fact he even drew iron I thought was pretty impressive. I mean, at that point, nitpicking something that happened with that few seconds left – I'm I'm not upset about that. They got the ball in, which is an improvement from you know some of the things that we've seen yes. in the past several games. So at least they were able to run a play and get a final look up in because we've seen. I mean, in that Grizzlies game, which was a very winnable game to see the the final look that we got there and have it rejected by Brooks. It was good defense, but it but those are the games that really stick with you because it's you don't even know you don't even know if it would have been a miss. It never even got a chance to make it to the rim. So for him to get something up, I'm not mad at that. It. That was just icing on the cake of what was a frustrating fourth quarter there. I would truthfully, I was more upset about the Mobley three point attempt. That being what we ended up with as a shot when we were down, you know, 98, 93 with about a minute left. I mean, we needed buckets at that point. Defense was good for both teams, but for that to be the type of look that we got out of that set, I did not love that. Yeah, it was a non-rhythm shot. It took them a couple of seconds to really come around for the attempt. I'm, I'm with that. I agree with that. I was hoping it would go in, obviously, as we all were, but he's not really a great opposite corner shooter, more of a near side corner guy, if anything. But yeah, that Memphis game, they lost five in a row after beating us in that game before finally rebounding. So we're going to close the show with a prediction of that one. We have a lot more to talk about, folks. So stick around. Hear from DraftKings and be right back. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat, same-game parlay every day. I should probably hold off right now because they're struggling a bit, but I'm all in on the Cavaliers. I'm looking at Cavs spread. I'm looking at the over, and I'm looking for Donovan at Mitchell points. I think Don is going to continue to improve as a score from his recent slide. I think we're going to score a lot, and I think we're going to get the win, underdog or not. So download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only if DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner for the NBA, with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. Welcome back, folks. Bob Schmidt of the Fear the Fro podcast. Zach Weiss is, is across the Cavs. And, Bob, we talk about Karras. We talk about Jetty. The Cavs with a number of other wing players, including Amar Stevens, who had his first DNPCD since early in the season. Dean Wade filling more of the four role with a little three time. Was the first DNPCD for Kevin Love, probably of his career. So who are you hoping the Cavs might take a look at on the trade market? Trade deadline is now just eight short days away. Well, for me, 
I think there's some things that I see a lot of the same names. I'm sure you do. And I think there's a certain class of guy that's just unrealistic, whether I like them or not. And that would be guys like uh, OG Ananobi or um, players like Boyan Bogdanovich, players that I think will at minimum require at least one first round pick, perhaps multiple. That pretty much takes the Cavs out of their conversation. There's some guys on the fringes. I wouldn't mind the Cavs taking a look at if they can be had cheap and by cheap i mean with second round picks or with unimportant rotation aspects once we get into that discussion of giving up guys like osman and okoro or levert it's it's essentially a case-by-case basis for me so i'm sure i've seen a lot of the same names as you have i'll run through the guys that i've seen out there and and tell you the ones that i'm i'm intrigued by in the sense that i think that they're a little more gettable and might not cost us one of our main rotation pieces to acquire them now with the big salary guys like your your tim hardaway juniors uh your malik beasley's those would almost certainly require levert being put into a deal and i'm 50 50 on if those are even really upgrades um in that situation there's some appeal to hardaway jr having some contractual control for the next couple years but i don't know that i think that what he brings you in additional volume shooting versus Karis LeVert, that you don't take a step back in other ways. Facilitation, um, you know, being able to be a, a stand-in primary ball handler if if either Mitchell or Garland go down for a period of time. I thought that LeVert has fared pretty well when he's been forced into the starting lineup here with either Mitchell or Garland out. And quite frankly, I know there's some appeal there in the sense that at least you know he would be on the team, but it doesn't blow me away and if we had to to grease that deal with draft assets along with Karis I don't think that I would make that move a guy like Malik Beasley I don't think I would do it because he's got one year of team control left but um he's just he's a volume three-point shooter I don't think he brings you a lot of other things those are sort of what I would call lateral moves maybe they could work out maybe I'm underestimating the impact that a guy who can put up seven eight threes in a game and do it at a reasonably decent clip could provide but i don't think lavert i think lavert suffers with this fan base from a little bit of the whole idea of desiring the unknown as opposed to realizing that what you have in front of you yes it may have some warts but it also may be a better solution in terms of he's had longer in the system to figure out how to play a role alongside two very high usage guys in Mitchell and Garland. And on top of that, I mean, as we come into the summer, there's a good chance that a player like him, who's dead in the middle of his prime right now, you know, around 28, approaching 30, which is at the point where a lot of contracts will start to kind of fall off for those guys. The Cavs might be able to retain him at a cost that we then look at that deal and say, well, yeah, we would take that in a vacuum over a Tim Hardaway Jr. Like if he were to re-sign this summer, for anywhere between 12 and his current salary, 18 million. Let's say he just signed a two, three-year deal for a cost somewhere in that range. Is that really, are we worse off there than having Hardaway Jr. at, you know, 19 million this year, 17 million next year, 16 million the year after that, a guy who's even older than Karras? I don't know. I guess that's uh, in the eye of the beholder. But some of the fringe guys that I'm intrigued by would be maybe uh, an Alec Burks in detroit or you know uh, 
it, it, it has to be people who don't make substantial money, though, because then you you get into that scenario where Burks makes around $10 million. So then you're looking at a scenario where you'd have to flip a guy like Osmond for him or, you know, Windler. And Windler wouldn't get it done because he just doesn't make enough. He's closer to $5 million. So then Okoro, I wouldn't put Okoro in almost any conversation because you have control over him. You have his restricted free agency rights coming up. You're going to be able to retain him if you extend him, and you're going to have the leverage to do that. So these suggestions of guys like Gary Trent Jr. and Josh Hart, my problem with them is that it's not that I don't like the players. I like Josh Hart a lot as a player, but knowing that it would be a one-in-one-out situation with Levert would be gone in either of those scenarios. So then you're asking yourself, okay, is are either of these guys a big enough upgrade that we're willing to risk summer rolling around and then being unrestricted free agents and getting an offer they like better in a market they like better and walking away. Because at that point, you lost Karis Levert's salary slot. You lost whatever draft assets you tied to Karis to get those deals done. And what you thought was this ideal fit has now turned into an even bigger hole, which I think we can both acknowledge. One of the biggest issues is inconsistent or just lacking scoring from yep. the bench unit altogether. So that's the other problem with these proposals that would be like a Levert and a Coro or a Osman and a Coro is that in almost all those scenarios we've seen pitched out, it's two for one situations. And and you're taking yet another guy away from a rotation, which is already not exactly performing up to the standards that we hoped that they would over the course of this season. So I would be looking at guys on the buyout market. I would be looking at your fringe guys, your Sadiq Bays, your Alec Burks, your second priority guys, guys that get discussed, but certainly aren't the the ones leading the conversations. Um, those would be people that I, I would consider investigating. Because again, what we need is consistency off the bench. We don't need some super high-end ceiling from some of these people. We need guys who can keep people honest, both defensively and with their shot, and aren't gigantic liabilities or situational type players, because we have a lot of those. We have that in Kevin Love as a volume three-point shooter who's a negative on the other side of the ball. We have that, you know, with, when it comes to Karras in terms of, okay, he can do he can do a lot, but it requires him having the ball in his hands to do much of that, despite the fact he's having a good three-point shooting year. So. Surprisingly. I was surprised that he was shooting 37%. That, that's almost a revelation. I, I know. You think I, he's in his twenties some some of the times we're watching him play, watching them play. Well, yeah, because the shots don't always. I mean, I think LeBron suffers from a similar thing. Sometimes you the shots he takes, they just don't seem like good looks. But he's knocking down enough of them that statistically, you're actually like, okay, this is sort of a peak level Levert, you know, money season. We're getting a healthy Levert, which he he hasn't had much of that over the course of his career. We're getting somebody who's shooting decently from range. And he has the ability to create some stuff in isolation. It's the bad part of Levert's season so far is just that he hasn't been very good when he's got into the lane. Those shots that he can get, I mean, he can get those little fadeaway pull-ups and create just enough contact to get separation, but they, he's not converting them at a good enough clip that it, it really matters. And he's not the traditional kind of pick-and-roll get-into-the-lane guy who ends up creating a substantial amount of looks for the bigs. That's much more, you know, Darius's bag. So I I understand the guy has warts, but I also think people are downplaying the importance of keeping Karras's contract or a contract slotted into that range, that 
mid, you know, between 10 and 20 million that the Cavs will be able to use, even if it's not this year moving forward, because so many people are viewing this season through the prism of what can we do to become a contender this year? And the window, it has to be much bigger than that. Not just because this team is so young, but because you can't exhaust everything you have, still fail, and then find yourself in a situation where you're blowing things up before these picks even begin to convey to Utah. It has to be deliberate and patient. And if they're going to give up assets, even minimal assets, like second-round picks, they have to do it knowing that whatever they're bringing back will not just be a fit in the short term in this half season we have remaining, but also moving into the future. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see what, what does end up happening over these next eight days. See if Alec Burks makes a Cleveland return. If they can get a guy from Orlando, like a Terrence Ross, I doubt he's available right now, given that he signed a two-year extension over the summer. And Gary Harris, who has been fitting in very well on an improving team, you know, they're obviously both options. I would also be very opposed to a move of Isaac Okoro, given his value, given his improvement. He's made so many big plays throughout the season, more recently offensively, but so often defensively. Comes up with some huge blocks every night. He's become an invaluable piece, just like we, we, we doubted a little bit, but we always knew in the back of our minds he wasn't some kind of super bust. He's a capable player who should get paid some amount of an increase in salary by the Cavs this summer. You had Gary Trent, probably not. Josh Hart, probably not. I do wonder what Portland winds up doing, but that could take a whole episode in and of itself. What with Simons getting his extension, being third in the league and made threes, but playing with a guard who also is not a great defender, who is one of the best scorers in the last 15 years of gaming alert. So we'll talk about Portland another time, but plenty of guys will be available. A lot of teams will come calling. Haven't heard a ton about the buyout market. I haven't even heard the word buyout mentioned anywhere, which is a first for me in the last 10 years of trade I, deadlines. I half expect Crowder to end up as a buyout. I, I mean, I know there's it's heating up this whole Milwaukee conversation, but for, I've always felt like Phoenix values him at a level that people around the league just won't because he's not playing, because he's older, and because he wants a payday. How many teams are going to take a risk of trading anything but absolute garbage? to get him and if phoenix digs in they might find themselves with no deal on their hands at the trade deadline and at that point i think it turns into a drummond situation where and and don't get me wrong i'm not advocating for for jay crowder i don't even like the guy but mm -hmm. guys always come up in that scenario and if anything if there's one thing that's nice about the frustration the Cavs are having with wing options is that you look at the other four guys in this lineup and what veteran wouldn't want to come to a situation where there actually may be a role for him and he can plug in against, you know, alongside superstars like that and, and a lineup like that. So in past seasons, when we're bad, I understand people don't come here, but I think you're going to get a muted version of what we saw when LeBron was with the Cavs, where people recognize our potential and there is a possibility that the Cavs could find themselves in conversations for some people who make their way off other rosters because they want a chance to play more, compete more, and teams honor those requests. Yeah, going to be very fun next week. Only had one very small move so far. and Well, not that small. Kendrick Nunn for Rui Hachimura and three second-round picks going to the Wizards as well. But we shall see how it plays out. What we will find out a little before then, Bob, is the 
All-Star Reserves should be announced tomorrow, barring any Shams, Woj, or Chris Haynes leaks. Who knows when those are going to start hitting. Should anybody besides Donovan Mitchell be representing the Cavs in the Midsummer Classic in two Sundays? I would say no, unless it's as an injury replacement. I know, I believe it was Barkley who said Jared Allen should make it, and I would love that, of course, but there's just a lot of good people who are already going to be on the outside looking in. I mean, only one of... Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Jalen Brunson, Trey Young, Darius Garland, Pascal Siakam. Only one of those guys will likely make it, given the limited roster spots available and the cases that guys like, you know, Embiid, Julius Randle, Bam Adebayo, uh, James Harden, Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Brown. Those are all, there's seven spots in the Eastern Conference. And I would say five to six of them are basically taken already. So then your hopes of getting into the all-star game are based on injury replacements. So who knows? Maybe maybe they could make it, but I've never really viewed injury replacement all-star status as all that legitimate anyway, and I'm sorry. So Mo Williams is a fraud? Uh, yeah, kind of in that capacity. <laughs> I mean, it's because, it's not as bad as the Pro Bowl is at this point. I, you know, But it, it, it people asking out of the game or getting injured when the guys get to fill in, I, I stay engaged up until that point and then outside of a little bickering last year because Siakam fans felt like Jared Allen stiffed him, um, of which I was happy for. Uh, I don't really get all that invested in that part. I want I want Darius to make it. I just don't think it's going to happen. Also because even if numerically you can make that case with his statistics, it's just it's a difficult sell when you have primary guys on other teams where you have Tyrese Halliburton, where even a Trey Young, who I don't think is going to make it, but are they going to take two calves before they take these other guys? Probably not. Fair enough. Yeah, East is definitely going to be hard to crack and not mentioned there, but I don't think he'll get in is Zach Levine. DeMar certainly has a chance. The Bulls record will play a role. If it was up to me out of everyone just mentioned, I'd, I'd be very surprised if Siakam, I know Toronto is also struggling. I think there's six games under 500. Siakam's averaging 25, 8, and 6, shooting 47% from the floor. I think he'd at least have to have some kind of consideration if we're just going off record. Absolutely. And, and I, it, I, I, I said say, that I thought one, he would oh, take ahead, the seventh ahead. spot. Sorry, sorry. I, I, I said I thought he would be my last spot in. Um, I think Randall is now probably left over him due to the Knicks playing a little bit better ball. But I, I think Siakam will end up being that wild card spot. I think he might even get in over – you know, Jimmy, DeMar, Trey, Brunson, all those guys. Um, I guess we'll see how it pans out. I wouldn't be disappointed if Toronto got nobody in the All-Star game. Uh, but, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it he has a case uh, statistically. He's, he's scoring more than he ever has, really, and the amount of usage that goes through him is it's pretty impressive. Yeah, he's having an even better statistical season scoring-wise than he did two years ago. Assists are down. Steals are pretty much the same. Rebounds are at a career high. I'm surprised he's only playing 36 minutes. Every time I see a box score, I swear he's played 44. But nonetheless, it does, it's, it's worked somehow. Yeah, it does seem like they ride their guys pretty hard. Yeah, Nick Nurse, Tom Thibodeau. There's a couple other coaches out there that do it a little less discreetly. Well, see, I'm personally not a fan of that just because I think that they have bench pieces that are losing growth opportunities and they they don't play their lottery pick who actually would probably has insane per 36 numbers and Obi Toppin. If he played 15 or 20 minutes a game, he could easily be averaging 12 or 13. They don't, he, he's, 
He's basically in a Jetty Osman situation where he's guaranteed <laughs> minutes, but he has to play behind the equivalent of a of a Kyrie or a LeBron in a given system because the coach loves him. I just feel really bad, especially as an Ohio guy. He went to Dayton. Yeah, yeah, that's the comp. That's the comp I was thinking of as you were describing it. I'm like, that sounds an awful lot like Osman. Metrics in his favor, but for whatever reason, finds himself off the court on a regular basis. Yeah, and I've seen the Knicks a lot these last couple of years. Hopefully he gets his opportunities again, but we will see. They have a couple of guys they're looking to move. We'll see if they're not too interested in that discussion. You know, that I, I, I'm higher on Reddish than a lot of other people would be, but he also doesn't see the court. Evan Fournier has a lot of money tied up. I don't expect that they're even able to move him. As for Derek Rose, I would keep him as a mentor in an injury emergency. But let's talk about Memphis, a team we did lose to a couple short weeks ago. They had the block on the last second three. We had the inbound failure. Is it going to be different this time, Bob, for the Cavs? Well, we're at home. You have to feel better about that. I mean, hopefully. And as you pointed out earlier in the podcast, this is a team that went on quite a skid uh, to not exactly great teams. You had Phoenix and L.A. hung losses on those guys. They They lost to the... The Kings, the Warriors, the Timberwolves finally notched a victory against the Pacers. So we'll see right after the Grizzlies there. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful we can get up for this game. I I do think it is. Mitchell is kind of backing into the all-star break here um, in terms of, you know, his efficiency, in terms of the type of shots he's getting up. And I know a lot of that is attributable to the groin injury, but uh, I think it's going to take a much better effort from our backcourt if we're going to hang with these guys uh, in this game. So I'm hopeful that we can shake off the shooting woes that we just saw against the Heat because I do think Evan is on the ascent here. I do think he's strung together a very strong month. I always think Allen is about as consistent as can be, but we're going to need at least one of these two guards to have a good game to be able to hang with this team. And will it be a distinct advantage or know that we're going to get Memphis on the second end of a back-to-back? Well, that's always good. But uh, I wish they were an old team that rested yeah. more players in that scenario. I, I, As much as I would like to say, yeah, it absolutely should be an advantage, sometimes it works out that way. The Clippers, I knew even before that happened, I'm like, yeah, they're going to sit these guys. We should roll here. And we did. Um, but, hey, you know, the same could be said for what I thought would happen against the Warriors, and we saw how that turned out. So, I don't think they're going to hide many people. They're right in the thick of the hunt for the one seed in the West. And they're also a young team that's eager to prove themselves. Uh, And I think these are the type of barometer games that they get up for. Um, And after that first matchup, I think this is becoming a pretty exciting challenge for those guys. We gave them everything they could handle. We just couldn't pull it out at the end. And, you know, if not for a few mistakes in the final moments or unfortunate calls, then that could have easily gone another way. So I don't expect them to hide anyone. I would hope that we would win just because we're in this pattern now of win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. So, hey, we're due at this point. We're at home. We just lost the last game that we probably shouldn't have. Hopefully we rebound with a more focused effort, uh, better execution, and just a monster game from our bigs. Yeah, these Cavs losses and this win-loss, 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 loss, win-loss, win-loss. They've lost the game by two, then by eight, then by one, six, two, 12, three. So definitely have to improve on the execution. I've not had a multi-game winning streak since December 31st to Jan 4, where we beat the Suns 
on the clutch play after which came after Donovan scoring 71, which came after eking one out a couple of days before to end the year in a game that was way too close. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to predict this one. I'll, so that I can't be wrong, but I do think that Evan Mobley is going to have another strong performance. I think that if you can keep John Morant in the fourth quarter from being that guy, and we can actually guard the three point line. I don't see a reason that this isn't win number 32. I'll tell you what I think is important uh, somewhat based on a recent trend is we have to keep Morant from just destroying us, getting to the free throw line, and we have to get some free throws ourselves. If we could get Jaron Jackson Jr. in a little bit of foul trouble, it would go a long way. But that has been trending in the wrong direction for the Cavs over recent games. And I know a lot of that is just due to Donovan's got to work back into a place where he's making more of those explosive moves as, as, as opposed to settling for jumpers. But it's going to be tough if uh, if we end up committing a bunch of fouls on Morant to hang in with these guys because we need to do everything we can to get Jaron Jackson Jr. on the bench as much as possible. Well, at least they don't have a rip-through guy, right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, should be a fun one. Hopefully we are looking at a 32-win team in the next game, not until Sunday. But, Bob, a pleasure having you on. I slice it up, talking about the Cavs, about the past, about the precedent, what might happen with a Karis Levert. But that will do it for this edition of Across the Cavs. He's Bob Schmidt. I am Zach Weiss, and we will see you next time.